Serenissima, New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best, straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Well, folks, welcome back to the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio, new day, new show, um, new guest, and uh, a dedicated show today, and also an eye-opener show. And it's a very unique angle that we're going to close. Again, this is uh, the last two shows are going to be a little bit intense for the end of this year, but what important topics that we'd like to you know bring to the audiences. And, um, you know, today is going to be a little bit of a law enforcement and healthcare, <laughs> and it's probably sounding like, what the hell is that? And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to touch in, in an area of healthcare that sometimes we tend to not talk about. And we talk about health in general. I've had many guests and shows about different health systems and healthcare systems and uh, uh, providers types, but we haven't talked about the veterans and the Veterans Affairs, the Veterans Administration, the Veterans uh, Hospital Systems, and the care they get and stuff like that. And from this platform, with my guests, we want to salute all our served, you know, serving, you know, folks today and those who served before. So all our veterans, salute to you guys and thank you for the work you do. And uh, so, so without any further ado, I think I I, I have enough suspicion and, and suspense going on right now. People are like, okay, come on, Hurricane, let's do this. All right, we're gonna do this. So that would be Bruce Segment, and he is a special investigator, special agent in charge with the Veterans Affairs, retired. Uh, he is also a private private eye and an author of a book, and we're gonna talk about all that right now. Uh, so without any further ado, Bruce, welcome to the show, and thank you for being with us. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to uh, begin our conversation. Well, listen, uh, it is a, it's a it's a deep conversation that we're going to have today, and uh, for the most part, it is under my uh, my series, unbelievable but true, because we're going to talk about something that we might not believe can happen or is happening, but it is happening, <laughs> and, and and no one can tell us better and and more about it than you, because. You've been a, a special agent, and we're going to talk about that part because people think law enforcement is, you know, a lot of, you know, police, maybe the federal, you know, and there's different branches and agencies out there that do different investigating in the law enforcement world, and uh, they tackle different things from health to to other things. So go ahead, you were going to say something. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And um, most people, I would say most Americans, they've heard of an Office of Inspector General, but they're not really sure exactly what they do. So let me give you a little bit of history of the inspector generals and what we do and how I got involved in it. Okay. Go for it. Going actually back to Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, he actually created the offices of inspectors general in the various government agencies. And every government agency has an office of inspector general. And the purpose of that office of inspector general is to ferret out fraud, waste, and abuse in the agency. So if you, with the Inspector General of the Department of Defense, 
you'd be looking at crimes involving the Department of Defense. If you were with Health and Human Services, you'd be looking in the area of Health and Human Services. So I served as the uh, special agent in charge of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, Office of Inspector General, Criminal Investigation Division for the Northeast. Now, what that very long title actually means <clears throat> is that I was responsible for all major criminal investigations involving the Department of Veterans Affairs and their hospital system and regional offices and clinics from West Virginia to Maine. And um, that involved a lot of hospitals and a lot of employees. And I retired from that <clears throat> position in 2005. Now, the way the inspector generals are set up, most inspector generals have an office of audit, which means they have auditors who do audits. And then they have an office of investigations that do investigations. And that's what I was in charge of, of the Northeast. But the VA was a little bit unique because we also had an office of healthcare inspections. And the office of healthcare inspections consisted of medical professionals, doctors and nurses and others who would go around to the VA hospitals and conduct inspections to make sure that the VA hospitals were performing properly. So the VA office of inspector general is a little different. Now, agents of the office of inspector general across the board they're all sworn federal law enforcement officers. So they all carry guns and make arrests and do the whole nine yards, only it's particular to that agency. So my authority was limited to the Department of Veterans Affairs. So anything involving the Department of Veterans Affairs, I had the law enforcement authority for. And I did that from uh, 1980 to 2005. And then I retired from there and I became the, uh, the director of investigations for a major hospital system in New York City. And I did that for 15 years under contract. And then I retired from there and then I did uh, spent six months at Nassau County government, helping them out with something. And now I do consulting work mostly. I'm doing mostly consulting work. But what was so unusual about my position is that I believe, and I may be wrong, I believe that I'm the only inspector general who actually was involved with investigating murder cases in our organization. Because most of the inspector generals were involved with investigating fraud, waste, and abuse. And we had plenty of that, as you can imagine. I mean, we had contract fraud, procurement fraud, bribery cases, theft of medical equipment. And then we had, unfortunately, some bad doctors and nurses that were maybe stealing narcotics, you know, and doing some other not so nice things. Um, so that was my regular inventory of cases until one day I got a call that kind of changed my life. I got a call from the uh, director of psychiatry at the, uh, Northport, Long Island, VA Medical Center. And she said, uh, Bruce, you're not gonna believe this, but we have a physician working here who actually spent time in prison for poisoning his coworkers. What? <laughs> now, I didn't think, <clears throat> I didn't think that you could get a job 
at a veterans hospital treating our nation's heroes and you had spent time in prison for poisoning your coworkers, but I was absolutely wrong. And that's what started me on this very unusual career path of investigating medical professionals who murder their patients. And when I say murder, I'm talking murder. I'm not talking about like Dr. Kevorkian, you know, who people who really wanted to end their life and went to him. I'm not talking about mercy killing. I'm talking about murder, about medical professionals who murdered their patients. And from one case went on to another case, to another case. And I've worked and consulted on cases like this all over the world. And inevitably, every couple of months, you would open up the newspaper, even today. There was one recently at, at the VA, a nurse who killed 13 patients uh, in West Virginia with, with insulin. So this, these cases aren't a matter of history. This is something that continually surfaces for, you know, forever. So let me go back and let me talk about the first case that I actually had. So I got this call from the chief of psychiatry and she was talking about um, this doctor and his name was Michael Swango. Now, when Michael Swango was in medical school, his fellow students referred to him as double O Swango licensed to kill because it seemed like every time he was visiting patients, they would expire unexpectedly but they could never actually pin it on him. They just thought something, something was going on. So the students went to uh, the Dean and they said, Dean, you know, we don't think this guy Swango should be a doctor. And the Dean said, well, what do you know? You're only students, I'm the Dean. I think he should be a doctor. He just needs some more training. You know, he needs a little bit more training. So he didn't graduate with his class. They kept him another six months. Next thing you know, he winds up in uh, Ohio State University doing an internship. And at Ohio State University Medical Center, there's a young girl, a gymnast. Her name is Cynthia McGee. She got hit in a car accident. She got hit by another student. She was actually improving until she gets a visit by Dr. Swango. Then she dies unexpectedly, but he doesn't get charged with that murder. The student that hit her with his car, he actually got charged with vehicular homicide, but he didn't kill Cynthia McGee. We learned later that it was actually Swango. Well, the next thing you know, people are dying unexpectedly. More people are dying unexpectedly, but these cases are very difficult to make. They're very difficult to prove, but they got rid of Swango and Swango went back to actually what was his first love, which was being an EMT because he craved the excitement of being an EMT, pulling up on a scene where there was injury and death everywhere. This was a real turn on to him, okay? So one day he's with his coworkers and he brings them a bunch of donuts and he doesn't have one, but they have one. And they all go home and they're sick. And he's calling them up and he says, tell me the symptoms. Tell me everything that's wrong with you. Because he wanted to relive the excitement 
of not just poisoning the first time, but hearing how they suffered. Well, these EMTs were not stupid. <clears throat> About two weeks later, Swango comes in with some iced tea. And he says, hey, I got iced tea for everybody here to have a drink of iced tea. And he said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have it later, uh, Swango. So they had it tested. It was loaded with arsenic, loaded with arsenic. They called the police. The police did an excellent investigation. They went to his home. They found arsenic. They found books on poisoning. Next thing you know, Swango gets sentenced to five years in prison for poisoning his coworkers. Now again, I didn't think in the United States of America, you could spend five years in prison for poisoning people and come out and be a physician. But that's exactly what happened. He got out in about two and a half years for good behavior. And being a sociopath, he could charm anybody. And he started fabricating documents. And he fabricated documents to show that he was only in jail for six months for a barroom brawl. <clears throat> and the governor of the state restored his civil rights. <clears throat> it was all bogus, completely bogus. Well, some hospital administrator on the West Coast bought it. And the next thing you know, he's working as a physician on the West Coast. And he's doing pretty well, actually. And he meets this other, he meets a nurse and they get engaged and everything's going beautiful until he makes the mistake of applying for membership in the AMA. The AMA did a good background investigation and they found out that he spent time in prison for poisoning his coworkers. And the next thing you know, the story is all over the local news and he has to leave and his fiance gets very, very upset. Her name was Kristen Kinney. And Kristen Kinney, the last couple of months was getting all these headaches and just not really kind of feeling well. So she leaves the West Coast, she goes back to mom in Virginia and she's getting better. The headaches are gone until Swango shows up at the door. And next thing you know, she can't really say no to him because he's so handsome and charming. And he starts, she starts getting the headaches again and then he leaves and she says, mom, I love this guy, I can't take it anymore. She goes to the park, she takes out a gun and she blows her brains out. Well, you can't blame Swango for that, can you? Well, actually you can, because even though the family had the body buried, they kept the lock of her hair and we tested her hair and it was loaded with arsenic. Swango was even poisoning his own fiance. Well, eventually he winds up at the Northport VA Medical Center when I got that call. Oh, and by the way, do you know what, what program he was on? He actually was there for a residency in psychiatry, which means he had to go in front of a board of trained psychiatrists and convince them that he should be in the program. And they bought into it. And he was in the program and he's treating our nation's heroes. <clears throat> Well, when I got that phone call, I said, I got to hop in the car and meet this guy. So I hop in the car with one of my agents. And I'll tell you something, this guy Swango was handsome, charming, looked like a movie star. I mean, if, if he dated my daughter, I would have been thrilled not knowing any better. A handsome Dr. X Marine, I go, wow, what a catch. 
And I started asking him about this. And at first he gives me the same story, the barroom brawl, the whole thing. And then when I, you know, increase it a little bit, that's when he doesn't want to talk anymore. And he has me leave. And I didn't have any evidence to arrest him because I didn't have any evidence that he harmed anybody out on Long Island. And the next thing you know, Swangle is gone. He leaves the country. He goes to Zimbabwe because there's a real shortage of doctors in Zimbabwe, Africa. And when he's in Zimbabwe, he kills women and children and pregnant women and try to murder his landlady. And then he, he was gonna move on actually to Saudi Arabia because they suspected him there. But he had to come back to the US to renew his passport. And that's when we arrested him, but not for murder, not for murder, because we didn't have any evidence that he murdered anybody, okay? We arrested him for what's every federal agent's favorite crime, lying to the government. It's called US Code 1001. And if you lie to the government, if you, or if you lie to an agent, like he lied to me, you're guilty of that crime. So he got two and a half years in prison for lying to me and lying to the government, all right? And that gave us a window, a window of two and a half years to try to determine if Swango had murdered any veterans at the Northport Long Island uh, VA Medical Center. Now, I told you about all the other cases that I had. I had never, ever done a murder case before. Never. And I'm talking to my boss and he said, hey, Bruce, you know, you're a good investigator, but you're gonna need some help on this. So we wanna introduce you to a guy by the name of Dr. Michael Bodden. Now, Michael Bodden used to have a show on TV called Autopsy. And many, many of these uh, high profile cases, you'll see him there. So I went up, he was up in, in, in Albany working for the New York State Police and even though nobody else wanted to help me, Michael Bond said, I'll help you, Bruce. Well, I'll show you exactly what to do. And this is what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to pull every medical record of every patient who was at the Northport VA when Swango was there, every patient. Then we're going to assemble a team. And this team is consists of, well, himself as a forensic pathologist, a toxicologist, a physician who's trained in chart reviews and who can look at a chart and try to determine if the patient's death was unexpected and there doesn't seem to be any reason why that patient expired at that time. And then this relatively new profession at the time called forensic nursing. And these are nurses that are trained in both forensic science and nursing science. And they were phenomenal. They were incredible. They were such a big help. So this team narrowed down the number of victims or alleged victims to about five cases where we could not make a, a reasonable determination why these patients expired when they did. Now, Michael Bonden explained to me this. He says, you know, Bruce, natural death is like you shut off a fan and the blades gradually slow down and stuff. But these people expired like turning off a light bulb. 
You're bright one minute and dark the next. All right. So what, what are we going to do? We're going to have to get court orders and exhume these bodies. They were all buried. And we'll have to, you know, do another autopsy and toxicology and all that. So what the, we had to do is we had to go to the families. Now, imagine if you get a knock on the door and I say, you know, hi, uh, uh, my name is Bruce Sackman. I'm with the Inspector General of the VA. And we have reason to believe that your dad's death at the VA may be of a suspicious nature. Can we have your permission to go to the cemetery and dig up his body and conduct tests? That's a visit you'll never forget. You know, I mean, and the families were great. They, 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 they were terrific, as they always are. They, they were terrific. Some, sometimes the families want to be there. They actually want to be there to witness the exhumation. Other times they didn't. And of course, we were very, very respectful. We bring flowers to the family. And we promised that we would return the body, you know, in the same condition that it came in. So then I find myself for the first time at a cemetery and the backhoe comes and it's digging up, you know, the ground and the coffin is, is, is coming out. And then I see Michael Bond and he actually jumps into the gravesite and he starts taking soil samples. I said, what, what's, what's that for? He says, well, if we find arsenic in the body and there's arsenic in the soil, they are going to claim that uh, it just creeps soil into the Okay. So then I find myself at the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's Office with all these dead bodies on tables and comes our body and uh, Dr. Wetley, who was the medical examiner, along with Michael Bodden, they do the Y incision. And the next thing, and Michael Bodden would take out a heart and he says, oh, Bruce, you see this heart? This person didn't die of heart disease. There's nothing wrong with this heart. All right. So then it was up to the toxicology. And the toxicology had to tell us, were there any particular drugs in this person's body that shouldn't have been there, that maybe came from the hospital? And they made a determination that there were one of two drugs in these bodies. One was succinylcholine, which is a paralytic. They call it sucks in the hospital. If they want to put a tube down you, they use it. It paralyzes you, it could kill you. And the other one was epinephrine, which is adrenaline, which could speed up your heart. So now Swango's about to get out of jail for lying to me. And he thinks he's just gonna hop on a plane and go to uh, some other country and keep killing. Uh, not so fast, not so fast. Because we had indicted him for murdering veterans at the Northport VA Medical Center. And we got lucky with something else. Because right around the same time, the United States entered into an extradition treaty with the government of Zimbabwe. That meant wow. we could extradite Swango to Zimbabwe and they would take care of him the way they take care of him. Okay. So uh, we said to Michael Swango, look, you could go to trial. And even if you win, we're just going to put you on the plane and drop you off on the tarmac in Zimbabwe airport. Good luck. <laughs> so he decided to plead guilty. And he I get it. And you know, you know what's interesting? What's interesting is always at the sentences, because at the sentencing, the families have an opportunity to speak. And it's very moving, as you can imagine. 
The families talk about how dad survived the war only to be killed at a VA medical center. And, you know, all the wonderful things that their dad did. And it was, it was, it's, it's very moving. So then it's time for Swangle to be sentenced. And he gets, he has to articulate what he did. So he gets up in front of the judge and he says, yes, your honor, I used a paralytic to, to kill people. And uh, he went on and on. And, um, and the judge says, look, I'm going to sentence you <clears throat> to three consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Now, if Congress should change the law and actually grant parole, your parole is denied in advance. So there's no way he's getting out of jail ever. And he's in Supermax Federal Penitentiary in Florence, Colorado, where all this bad of the bad of the bad people are. So after that case, next thing you know, I have another one of these cases and another one of these cases and another one of these cases. And purely by happenstance, I just developed this expertise in medical professionals who murder their patients. Oh, Bruce, you know, I have not been this quiet in a show for this long, <laughs> in a long time. You're literally like me out of, you know, my, my seat right now. I was just like, you know, watching and listening. I, it was just like too much to absorb. And I have to say, I mean, our audiences are probably like just baffled right now, like, whoa, this is real. You know, I, and I have to, to dissect a lot of the stuff you discussed right now. And we, we can, we can, you know, uh, have a little bit of discussion on it. First thing is your career path. I mean, you know, I have to say it's interesting path and, uh, it's a path of law enforcement. Yes. You had a different agency and thank you for clarifying about the uh, office of inspector general, because I, I actually, I'm aware of, of the existence of those departments. And, uh, I, cause I work in the healthcare also. And uh, we do actually report to them and have different things, fraud, waste and abuse uh, under CMS and, you know, regulatory and things like that. So so I'm very familiar with them. And uh, we've actually done uh, investigations and conducted and submitted documents and things like that to to uh, those folks out there. I even met with some inspectors, you know, myself in, in, in some investigating, you know, uh, situations. So but but the, the, that for people listening in, and this is a worldwide audience, I mean, that's like, you know, we, we think federal, the FBI, we think, you know, uh, IRS, we think those are the standard law enforcement and the local, you know, cops in the show. You know, my own family was convinced I was in the FBI for years, even when I kept telling them I wasn't in the FBI. Well, well again, when, when what people think when they think federal law enforcement. Well, there's there's a lot of that's the other thing. Homeland Security is is comprised with a lot of different agencies and things like that. So so the the idea of of a federal because what we see in the movie is typically the federal, you know, and FBI is the, the predominant. There's DEA, there's ATF, there's others, but they all do the same thing for different agencies and different purposes, and you know they have different juridic jurisdictions. And in your case, you're with the vets. You know, you're uh, literally protecting you know the the ones that protect us in a way. I mean, right. think about it. you at least investigate things that affect them and their, because again, fraud, waste, and abuse and its own can be very costly. Yes. And I mean, the, the VA administration is, you know, sponsored by the government and things like that. And so therefore any fraud, waste, abuse affects everybody and taxpayers money and, you know, you name it. And, and, and frankly, to you said, you said it clearly heroes are being treated there and therefore they, they should have the best treatment. Absolutely. They shouldn't be exposing them. Like just the, the, the idea that the kids, you know, are talking and stating that my father 
you know, survived the, the, the Vietnam War, <laughs> survived the Gulf War, and yet he was murdered in the VA hospital. Just the idea of thinking about that is 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 almost like you know it's it's something that that is not easy to to absorb and and, and accept you know as as a as a concept, and, and the idea of thinking that people are doing this, you see, you think hospitals and healthcare systems, you think malpractice, you know things happen, error, but this is premeditated. This is like somebody that is actually intentionally right. murdering people. Different. You know, medical errors. I think they say are the third largest cause of death in the United States, but. We're not talking about medical errors here. We're talking about a very, very, very tiny, tiny subset of people that choose the medical profession. I don't think they, most of them choose it initially with the intent of killing. I think the things happen in their lives uh, and happen on the job that kind of change them sometime. But, you know, if, if you think about it, and look, I, I, I want to preface the rest of my marks by saying this. The overwhelming majority of healthcare professionals are the most honest, hardworking, dedicated people you'd ever want to meet in your life. And I know because I met the bad ones and I met the bad ones through the good ones who were so pissed off about what was going on, they would call me and tell me, get rid of this nurse or get rid of this doctor because they're hurting the rest of us. And the last hospital I worked and even at the VA, I mean, they performed miracles every day. So if you're working in an environment where people have taken an oath to protect, to save lives, it's very difficult to accept that somebody is intentionally taking lives. It's very difficult to accept that a fireman is intentionally starting a fire or that a policeman is actually intentionally committing a crime. But these things happen, they happen. And now, so if you think about it, if you're so inclined, think about this, if you're so inclined to commit a series of murders, what profession and what location might you choose? Well, You'd want to choose a profession that has the power of life and death over someone. And we know which professions have that power, right? Then I think you might also want to choose a profession where everybody takes that oath, whether it be the Hippocratic oath or there's a Florence Nightingale oath. They're basically the same. You know, do no harm to patients and do everything you can to save lives. And 99.9999% of the people actually follow that scrupulously, all right? Now, you might also want to find a profession where the victim and the family trust you implicitly. Listen to that nurse, sweetheart. Listen to that doctor. They have your best intentions in mind. And of course, again, they all do have your best intentions in mind, except for this tiny, 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 tiny little group. Okay, now you might also want to work in a location where the strong and assertive become the meek and mild. When people go in the hospital and they're not feeling well, they don't question anything. They just kind of lit around. Even that big, tough construction worker is sick and he's scared of that little nurse come on with that big needle and they don't question anything. So boy, that's a pretty good environment to work in, you know? Um, how about working in a place where there's a shortage of skilled professionals? 
And we see this now all over the country, unfortunately. And in some locations, even in the United States, it is extraordinarily difficult to find nurses and doctors, and not just during a pandemic, but anytime in remote locations. So you know what? If we didn't do such a good background investigation on this nurse or doctor, well, excuse me, we couldn't find a nurse or a doctor to fill that position at all. So, so we got desperate, okay? So how about working in a place where death is a common everyday occurrence? Well, somebody dies in a hospital or nursing home, is that news? <coughs> That's not news. That's, uh, you know, everyday occurrence, right? Yeah. How about working in a place where you work alone at night? Mm, maybe it's just you and a nurse's aide, and you could take that curtain and put that curtain behind you and the patient. And, you know, with the HIPAA rules, there aren't really cameras going to see what's going on there. And uh, you could really do whatever you want to do without anybody really seeing it, right? How about working in a place, in an environment that the police are unfamiliar with? And let me tell you, police don't want to do investigations inside hospitals at all. First of all, they don't understand the HIPAA law. They don't know what they, records they can get, what they can't get, what they need a court order for, what they need a subpoena for, who's responsible for what. They don't understand. Look, most cops, and I include myself in this, didn't become cops because we're good in chemistry and biology, okay? So we're very easily um, challenged by the science and the complicated administration. Like, where are the records? Who has the records? Are the records the same in this is that, I mean, can I access these records? And all the science, all these, all these machines and data and all of this, it's very complicated. And I don't think I really want to work in an environment like that. And what about if, if the victim, if the victim cries out, um, hey, that nurse is trying to kill me. We don't pay any attention to that. We hear that all the time in the hospital. In fact, if they keep saying that, well, we're just going to make a notation in their chart that says they're probably suffering some, from something called hospital delirium. Now, hospital delirium is a real condition. You know, when people are under numerous medications, they could start to hallucinate, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm saying that this nurse is trying to kill me, obviously, he's not trying to kill me. He's I'm hallucinating because I'm under the influence of all these particular drugs that they gave me. I really don't know what I'm saying, okay? So just look at this location and this atmosphere that we've created, okay? So now I've got the perfect job in the perfect location. So what do I do now? Like smuggling a knife or a gun to kill somebody? Well, there's no need to do that because the hospital provides plenty of drug dealing, uh, you know, death dealing drugs many of which are on the crash card in the ICU, all right? Some of which are still untraceable, even with today's modern toxicology. So unfortunately, this is a reason why so many throughout the world, there are cases of cases of doctors and nurses, but what's scary about them is that when you look at a, we'll call it a traditional serial killer, Maybe they kill, you know, seven, eight people. 
they're actually amateurs compared to my medical school kills. I mean, the average kills at least 30 patients, I would say. I mean, in Germany, I, I helped work on a case of a, a nurse that um, we suspect killed 300 patients, but he actually admitted to killing 100 patients, all right? And you know what's interesting about many of these, these cases is that when hospital A suspects something, they don't say anything to hospital B. They're so happy that that employee has moved on to hospital B that they don't say a word. They don't wanna get sued. They don't say a word. And one of the classic cases of this was a nurse named Charles Cullen in New Jersey. And you remember the Nurse Cullen case. Nurse Cullen worked in two hospitals in Pennsylvania and a number of hospitals in New Jersey. And when Hospital A suspected something, they never said anything to Hospital B, they never said anything to Hospital C, they never said, until finally, finally he got caught. So how do they get caught? They get caught because of the honest, hardworking, dedicated coworkers who suspect something, but it's not easy because it happens like this, okay? You know, um, Mr. Manager, it seems every time that nurse Bruce is on duty, the death rate goes up. Bruce takes a vacation, the death rate goes down. So does that mean Bruce is a serial killer? Maybe Bruce has the most complex cases. Maybe that's the reason for it. Maybe there's a host of other reasons for it. You know, if you start yelling serial killer, um, are you prepared to defend that? I mean, and I want to ask you a question there, Miss uh, Whistleblower. Is your background so perfect? I mean, if we drug tested you right now, are we going to find any drugs on you? I mean, are all your licenses up to snuff? Is everything correct? The reason why I ask that is because if you come forth and make these allegations, in some ways you're like under investigation yourself, you know what I mean? So think long and hard about it. And there's a terrible, terrible, terrible case of two nurse whistleblowers in Texas, in a place called Kermit, Texas. Now, Kermit, Texas is all the way in the oil basin, and it's very, very hard to find doctors and nurses in Little Kermit, Texas. In fact, the management will tell you, we have to go all the way to the Philippines. We've even brought nurses in from Ireland because we can't find anybody. So, you know, if we didn't do the best background investigation, we're lucky we have somebody working here. Well, these two nurses who happen to be the entire compliance department of the hospital, they go to the manager and they say, you know, we think this doctor is harming patients do something about it. And the management says the same thing. Did you actually see him palm patients? You know, I don't think the evidence is, is sufficient here. So go back to your office and shut up. So they go back to their office. They say, what the hell do we do now? So one nurse says, I have an idea. Let's send an anonymous letter to the Texas State Board of Nursing and let's complain about this one particular doctor. So they send an anonymous letter actually to the state medical board and the doctor gets wind of it and boy is he pissed. So he calls up one of his patients who happens to be the local sheriff and he says, Sheriff, I think these women are intentionally trying to harm me and I think they're breaking the law. 
And the sheriff says, don't worry, doc, I'm on the case. And he gets a search warrant for their hospital computers. He goes in their hospital computers and he finds out that they are the authors of the anonymous letter to the state. The sheriff actually arrests them and has them charged with misuse of official information, which is a felony in those parts. And these women get fired and they get arrested. And for what? For misusing official information to notify the state about a doctor they think is harming patients. Well, it actually goes to trial. And the jury's out for about 20 minutes and they come back and they say, are you kidding me? These nurses deserve a medal for what they did, not to be criminally prosecuted. But what kind of message does that send out to other whistleblowers? What kind of message? They say, hey, you hear about those two nurses in Texas? You hear what happened to them? They blew the whistle, they got arrested and all these terrible things. Yeah, at the end they won, but do you wanna go through that? Do you wanna go through that? I don't wanna go through that. So you know what? Keep your mouth shut and don't say anything and just let them go on. And you know, I've, I've given presentations on this all over the world and inevitably at the end of the presentation, some nurse or some doctor will come over to me and say, you know, Bruce, there was this doctor, there was this nurse that we kind of suspected of something, but we never said anything. And when he moved on and we were just glad. And now we're so sorry, so sorry that we never said it and moved on. And one of the good things that come across this Nurse Cohen case was that the state of New Jersey actually changed the law and allowed hospitals to report their suspicions to the next hospital. So that has indemnified the hospitals and a number of states have that now, but not every, not every state has it. And another good thing to come out of the Swango case is that the world of medical credentialing has improved dramatically. Now, before you're a doctor, a nurse in a hospital, you have to produce all kinds of evidence to show you are who you say you are, that uh, you have all your uh, education is correct, and they've tightened it up tremendously. Doesn't mean on occasion some things could slip through, but it's much harder now to hire another swango as, as it was. You know, and one particular case talking about um, whistleblowers. In the book, um, there's a story of Kristen Gilbert. Kristen Gilbert was a nurse in uh, Massachusetts, a VA nurse in Massachusetts, in Northampton, Massachusetts. We suspected she killed about 30 patients, Sam, and she used epinephrine. And uh, we did, and these investigations take a long time. We did the investigation and we proved she was guilty, but the whistleblowers, the way we found out about it was again through the honest nurses who came forth. They went to management first, management poo-pooed it. They came to the inspector general. We did the investigation with the help of these wonderful nurses. But these nurses, they had issues in their background. They had some drug use, they had personal issues. All these things came out at the trial. It took a lot of courage for them to come forth. But after the case was over and after she was found guilty, the nurses went back to work. And do you think they were greeted as heroes? Just the opposite. 
Their coworkers were angry at them. You see what, what you did to this hospital? Now, every time people read about this hospital or drive by this hospital, they don't talk about all the great medicine. They don't talk about all the lives that we save. You know what they talk about? That's where that serial killer worked. That's where. You see what you did to us? We spent our lives trying to save people. We've spent our lives building our reputation and you destroyed it. You whistleblower destroyed it because you couldn't keep your mouth shut and you had to bring in the cops to, to take this woman out. And that happens sometimes too. That happens sometimes too. And it's, 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 it's really a terrible thing. You know, in Germany, um, that nurse I was telling you about in Germany, for the first time ever, ever, managers who suspected something in hospital A, but allowed him to move on to hospital B, got charged criminally with aiding and abetting the murders. Now, they haven't been convicted. We'll see what happens in Germany. You know, the law's a little different there. But I really hope they are convicted because that will send out a message you know, that you just can't pass somebody along when you have these terrible suspicions of how they harm somebody. Wow. <laughs> you know, I try, <laughs> you know, I, I have so many questions and I, you just keep going and the good stuff and I don't want to stop you. But, <laughs> but really, first of all, I, I want to thank you for, for the preface you had made about, you know, uh, it is a reality. We cannot, this is not a paintbrush, everybody equally. Uh, the majority of the healthcare workers that do it with a noble, you know, mission and they- They're amazing people. They're fantastic, amazing people. That is right. And and they do it with the heart. They put in, you know, blood, sweat, you know, you totally. risk. I mean, just look at the pandemic. I mean, these, these folks were heroes, you know, where everybody was running away from the pandemic, they were in it. And so we want to thank them for every, everything they do. But Nobody you're right. Nobody yeah. has more respect for nurses than I do. And I've arrested a number of them. But I found out about them from the honest, hardworking nurses who told me about them. And, and Bruce, you know what? I, I tend to look at people in two categories, the good and the bad. <laughs> and so I, I do hope that there is plenty of good in this world and very few bad ones and bad apples as we refer to them. And those are the ones that that are out there. And unfortunately, it's part of society. It's been always in life. The first crime on this planet was murder. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if we think about <laughs> the history of the, the children of Adam. So, so, but the bottom line is, you know, it is unfortunate that there are people that use certain functions, like you mentioned, uh, whether it's in, in any business, right? Or any industry, there's always bad people or corrupt people. And, and in this case, you mentioned also a couple of elements. One is, Credentialing today with the technology we have, with the, the synchronize, all the systems are synchronized now in, in, in nationally and internationally. A lot of communication is happening in real time between governments, between agencies and so on and so forth. We didn't have this in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, before the internet, that was like, you know, forget about it. <laughs> well, Swango was actually when the internet was first coming on board. And uh, I think if the internet existed, he wouldn't have gotten where he did. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. So so back in the days, everything was in, in documented records somewhere in a folder. And, you know, uh, if you burn that folder, it's over. <laughs> Everything's gone. You know, it's harder. But now with, with everything digitized, everything is in the server, in the cloud. It's very difficult to to, to even think about it or even try to do something and finagle the, 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 the documentation. 
But still, you're right. There are people that use technology just as well, and, and they can hack and do different things. But but again, as that technology happens, the bad guys tend to to get close to it, and so does <laughs> so do the good guys. And I'm sure you know every law agency has has the highest level of technology to actually undermine those folks, right? And uh, and that's really the key here. So, but but you mentioned some very very powerful stuff here in this 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 discussion and the examples you've given. This particular doctor, Swagger, he, he, he's, you caught him under the administration that you were investigating, you know, and you were part of. But the other folks out there in the real civil, you know, civilian world were not able to catch him. And, you know, he was able to move and move and move and lied and lied. And he admitted to some of this stuff and God knows what else he did. No one would know. And unfortunately, we, we estimate that he killed about 60 people throughout the world. Um, wow. And you know what happens? These people kill so many patients, they can't even remember themselves how many they killed or who they were. You know, I mean, if you killed hundreds of patients, chances are, unless you're taking notes, you're not going to remember, you know, who, who these people are. And um, that's very scared because the numbers are so horrific. There are so many victims here for the reasons that I laid out, you know. Well, Bruce, let me ask you a question. In, in your investigation, I mean, in, in the court, does it ever come up like why? I mean, yes, yes. And you know what? I could tell you this, having studied this for like 20 plus years, um, one size does not fit all. For many, many people, it's a matter of power and control. Sometimes they had no power and control in their life growing up, and now they have an opportunity to have the power and control that they always wanted. Okay, um, for other people, other people, there's this condition known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And Munchausen syndrome, as you know, is when you will intentionally hurt yourself in order to get sympathy because you're looking for attention. So you'll intentionally, you know, do something to yourself so nurses and doctors and everybody can take care of you. As a matter of fact, in the VA, it was a famous case of a guy we called Major Munchausen. This is what Major Munchausen did. He didn't hurt anybody, thank goodness. But Major Munchausen traveled from the West Coast to the East Coast and went to every VA hospital that was studying a particular ailment, and he claimed he had that ailment. So let's say that Dr. Bruce is, is studying one particular form of cancer or something. He would read up on that. He would know what all the symptoms are. He would like, you know, prick his finger and put blood in his urine and do everything he had to do. And he would go to these doctors and they would go, Eureka, I found the patient that I've been looking for that I could study. But after a couple of weeks, they'd say, wait a minute, this guy doesn't really have this, you know? And they would fawn all over him. They'd give him all kinds of attention. Then he'd move on to the next hospital to the next hospital, to the next hospital. And we called him Major Munchausen. Well, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is when you actually harm another. You know, it's, um, an example would be a mother that would intentionally harm a child, bring the child into the emergency room to show the staff what a caring, loving parent he is, how he loves that child, how he's tried everything even though he actually harmed the child to begin with. So what nurses will do 
is they will intentionally cause a code. They will intentionally put somebody in code. And then during the code, they perform brilliantly. They take over. They start barking orders to the young interns who were scared shitless, who don't know what's going on. And they would say, wow, what a fantastic nurse. What an unbelievable nurse. But she actually caused the code to begin with. And Kristen Gilbert, she was a prime example of that, as well as the nurse in Germany who killed over 100 people. It was the same thing. They craved the excitement of a code. We call them code junkies, okay? That's another reason, okay? I mean, some people actually had incidents in their lives growing up where um, a parent was actually very ill and um, it, it, it affected them in many ways and they, they kind of wanted to get, get back at the world for that. I mean, we've had medical serial killers who actually were fine until they got involved in drugs. You know, one, one medical serial killer actually got involved with meth. And then, you know, performing on the meth, oh, that's not a, that's <laughs> not a good recipe, okay? And on rare occasions, there's even been the profit motive. There was a recent murder, a recent murder in Texas uh, where the guy said that he, um, he was injecting air and veins in people who were in the ICU because he wanted them to stay longer in the ICU so he can make more overtime money, okay? There's actually Harold Shipman in England who was the undisputed, undefeated champion of medical serial killers who did kill 300 patients. And he would steal from the patients. He would steal, because he made house calls. So he would steal from them. And the way he got caught is that he actually changed the will of one of his patients and made himself the beneficiary. Not too smart. <laughs> and then they traced it back and that's how they determined. And when you talk to detectives in England, like I have, in the town, they say, well, he killed somebody in that house and somebody in that house and somebody in that house, you know, um, with morphine. Um, and it's, it's interesting, the drugs that they use actually um, kind of varies, you know, it's not like, again, it's not one size fits all, but some of them, you know, insulin is a very big one. Mm -hmm. An overdose of insulin is very, very common. That's when that VA nurse in West Virginia, who was just sentenced to multiple life sentences, she killed 13 people with insulin. There's a nurse in Canada that killed a number of people with insulin. Insulin is, is one of the more common murder weapons, you might say, along with succinylcholine and uh, epinephrine and diamorphine and potassium. I mean, there are a lot of drugs out there you know, a, a lot of drugs out there. Um, Bruce, I mean, thank you for enumerating those. I mean, that that's, and by the way, those are things that are supposedly used to to, to help people live better. Well, of course. <laughs> Unfortunately, they use it, again, just like everything else, right? You can use the same thing, you know, either to kill or to heal. So unfortunately, uh, it's it's a sad, but it's to your point earlier. They, they are in an environment that are almost camouflaged. Nobody sees them for who they were. And they have access to every single lethal thing that they can use if they know what to do with it. And they know they have the element of surprise and, and also time 
and, and, and trust, which, which are very, very powerful things to have if you want to be bad. And it's the same thing if you want it to be good, <laughs> but they use it the bad way. A hospital toxicologist is not going to test for any drugs he doesn't think should be there. Yeah, you exactly. know, I mean, you know, it's very interesting. You know, we talk about control. I have to read to you something. There was a famous medical serial killer. Her name, his name was Donald Harvey. And Donald Harvey worked at the VA and outside the VA, and he killed, I don't know, 60 people, whatever. But they asked him why. They asked him, why do you kill him? Let me read this thing. He says, well, people controlled me for 18 years, and then I controlled my own destiny. I controlled other people's lives, whether they lived or died. I had that power to control. After I didn't get caught for the first 15, could you imagine that? After I didn't get caught for the first 15, I thought it was my right. I appointed myself judge, prosecutor, and jury, so I played God. You know what? If you kill 15 people and nobody even questions it, maybe you'll start to believe that uh, you have some kind of divine inspiration or God knows what, right? 15 people and nobody even questions it. But, but Bruce, you, you, you gave a couple of, of, I guess, reasons behind, you know, these, but it's all psychological. I mean, at the end of the day, these folks do have something off. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the bottom line to it. You cannot possibly take a life and, 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 and just be cool about it. There's no such thing. I mean, and everybody, even at war, you know, the trauma is by seeing a lot of that and things, people do get that. And you see you what know, happens to the patient doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is the excitement, the thrill of actually taking the life and getting away with it. Well, you don't get away with it. That's unfortunately, they don't get away with it. Eventually it gets you. That's the part of, you know, justice will prevail. And unfortunately, you know, I, to your point, everybody that ever did a crime, they get caught sometimes in the future. Sooner or later, they get busted. Sooner they make a mistake. And sooner somebody will be smarter than them. In this case, you guys. And, and, and frankly, thank you for the work you do, because be, without you guys, there'll be a lot more. <laughs> well, because, you know what? You got to thank the whistleblowers, too, because well, I, I, a lot of courage, boy. And, I tell you, the doctors and nurses who come forth, they're my heroes, man. They have a lot of courage. It's well, so Bruce, sorry, Bruce. I want to talk about that, because there are a few items that you've highlighted with the whistleblowers. Uh, first of all, whistleblowers, just to define it, is very simple. Somebody that blows the whistle on some activity, right? It's just as it sounds. Yeah. They see something, they report it, you know, uh, anonymously, or they actually report it physically, or they just come forward. Uh, I know in the federal, you know, system, it's a little different. You have to have certain background and so on and so forth. Like to your point, as you said, uh, you have to be clean too, in a way, and be willing that your stuff is going to come up because you're going to be a, a public <laughs> case, right? Everybody's going to know by you when you are, you have to be ready uh, for the outcome. You're not just going to be hidden. This is not like reported and disappear. If you get right. to court, you're going to be in court and uh, people will judge you good, bad, ugly. Even if your intents and intentions are good, you're still going to be judged in the case of those two nurses. They did a, a terrific job. They still got punished for it. And you just by going through the system wrongfully and even by being, I guess, you know, uh, cleared and they go back to their work, they were not welcome because people did not realize what the good they did. They just looked at them like, oh, they harmed the hospital reputation, you know, and that's that's bad. But you're right. It takes guts. It takes a lot of courage and bravery to actually have 
you know, to come up and really uh, bring this to the, the authorities. And authorities here can be the compliance officers of the, the, the company they work for, the hospital systems, and so on and so forth, or something people go to the news. <laughs> That's the other part. People go to the media and make it a media frenzy, and it gets a little twisted out there for another. <laughs> That's another topic. But, but at the end of the day, it's, it's that kind of, but you're right, it's not easy. Um, but, but I want you, Bruce, if you can just guide the people, like if, what is the best way uh, to, to, to process as, as if you see something wrong? I mean, first of all, you're right. People are afraid and they don't want to get involved because whatever reasons they are. Right. And because of that, they might be almost allowing other crimes to happen. And by the way, again, I work in the insurance world and uh, in the healthcare, obviously. So HIPAA, rules, compliance, you see something, say something, it's everybody's job. We have posters everywhere, <laughs> right? And so we always condition, you can call in, you can send in a message, you can do all stuff. But you're right, sometimes people do it. And there's a percentage, again, in even the whistleblowers, they do it intentionally, because I've seen that happen when someone wants to, to do it to gain money because they think there's money to be made and they do it because they have, you know, they, they are disgruntled with the company and they just want to do it despite them. There is that, again, we're talking about bad and good in the same scenario here. Even the whistleblowers can be the good ones and or the ugly ones. But we're talking about the good ones that are really seeing something wrong that is affecting lives or can literally affect lives. And, and by the way, lives here can be as simple as, the business closing, for example, the healthcare hospital, you know, not having, you know, anything and shutting down for whatever reason. It could be many things. But, but the idea is, what would be your advice from an investigator and your, you know, your expertise for someone to come on, to come forward and be at ease? Yeah, um, you know, um, people have to remember that, you know, if you're, um, if you're talking about a bad accountant, you're probably talking about people losing money. You know, if you talk about a bad lawyer, that could be terrible too. But if you talk about a bad healthcare professional, you're talking matters of life and death. And that is really kind of paramount, you know. And um, I tell people, look, you know, there's a, there's a chain of command and you should follow that chain of command. And I think now um, healthcare has changed and the management is much more aware of this and they're much more aware of uh, the need to get to the bottom of this thing properly. So I always encourage people to go to their compliance department. Mm -hmm. I know I worked in a compliance department at New York Hospital for 15 years and we took everything very seriously and we treated our whistleblowers like Fort Knox Gold. One, we didn't want them to go to the press. Two, we didn't want them to file a lawsuit in federal court. You know, these key TAM suits, if you're familiar with them. So we didn't, we didn't want that. So we treated every whistleblower like Fort Knox Gold. Now, were some of them uh, less honest and sincere than others? Damn right. But in my experience, when a professional would come to me and say, you know, Bruce, something's wrong. I've been doing this job for many years and something just doesn't seem right. In my experience, that person is spot on more often than not. So um, I think that most managements have changed now to, um, to embrace whistleblowers much more and to be more careful with them and to protect them. So I think it's a, it's a much safer time 
than it was historically for whistleblowers to come forward. Well, I think Bruce, the name, the the, the 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 idea of whistleblower, I think that's what's actually you know that makes people scared of that of it. Right. Because when you think about it, like he's, he she is a whistleblower, it's like almost like you you you're quoting it as a bad thing, and it's not. Yeah, like you're not a team player anymore. Exactly, and that's really I think what what it's almost like a. Uh, just an environment that is created with that name that that is the tag that you have and then people are like i'm gonna be labeled that's like you know i'm being literally you know nicely tagged and i have a little spotlight on me no one wants to have the opportunity to come across anonymously too but i'll tell you honestly an anonymous complaint doesn't rise to the same level as a yes. complaint of somebody who's coming right up and saying, here I am, ask me anything. That doesn't mean that we haven't had great cases from an anonymous complaint. I'll give you an example of one I had. <clears throat> a letter comes in and they said, you know, Bruce, in, in, in one of the hospitals, um, we seem to be buying an abundance of oxycodone. I don't know why we're buying so much, but we're buying so much signed anonymous, okay? So that led to an investigation where we uncovered the director of pharmacy actually stole 200,000 doses of oxycodone from the hospital pharmacy over five years. It was the largest known theft by a pharmacist of oxycodone ever. And the case made headlines around the world. I even got an article from New Zealand about it. Okay. And that came about from an anonymous letter, from an anonymous letter. But I could tell you that that's that's one success, but many times anonymous letters don't have sufficient information. You know, they don't have sufficient information, so the investigator doesn't even know where to begin. So as detailed, if you want to stay anonymous, that's fine, but you have to try to make it as detailed as possible so that the investigators know where to go and they, they know what to look for. You know, got somewhat lucky because when, when it's funny, when I did this investigation, uh, I went to the hospital pharmacist and I took with me the chief pharmacist from the hospital system. Because what do I know about pharmacists? You know? And... Uh, so we, we, we sit down with the pharmacist and uh, I said, you know, I got this anonymous letter. I don't know, you know, about all this oxycodone being like, can you explain it to me? He says, oh yeah, Bruce. He says, look, there's actually a study. See, we have a study involving oxycodone and we have a separate pharmacy that just deals with studies. So I've been buying all the drugs for this study, but there's an official study. So don't worry about it and go back to the office. Well, that's terrific, Mr. Pharmacist. I really appreciate it. Can I see the study? I mean, I have to just kind of look at the study and I just have to say, well, you know, Bruce, I don't have it. Come back next week, I'll have it for you. So next week comes, he says, oh, you know, Bruce, it's in storage. I still don't have it. The guy's name was Anthony. I said, look, Anthony, I gotta have this study because my boss is gonna be all over me if I don't have this study. So we came back two weeks later and said, okay, Anthony, I'm ready for the study. And then he says, well, there is no study. And I've actually been taking the drugs over the last five years. 
and we had to go into every system and you know the systems that are there and we had to track everything and not only was he taking oxycodone he was taking other drugs and he was selling it to some bad people in staten island all right uh and he actually got prosecuted of course and he he went to jail and you know what he actually could have gotten the death penalty because under the New York State drug kingpin statute, he stole so many drugs and resold so many drugs, he could have actually gotten the death penalty when he did them. He cooperated, he answered all the questions and he got five years in jail. And that all came about because of anonymous letter that wasn't even that detailed. But I would tell whistleblowers, please try to make it as detailed as, as you can. It'd be much, much more helpful. But Bruce, in this case, I mean, ultimately, it, it was trends. I mean, if the volume is there and you can track it, and it took... Well, you very... know what? That's a great point, because you would say, didn't anybody notice that there were 200,000 extra doses of... Over uh, five years. ...hodone purchased? Well, no, because it was over five years, all right? And because of this study that he claimed he was buying for, nobody questioned it. Just one pharmacy tech actually questioned it but nobody else questions it well you know that that, that well that's in, that's interesting because normally no matter what level you are you have to report your stuff and financials and everything i mean it's kind of fishy that no one caught up to that's yeah, a lot of money it, but he got away with it he wow. got it. unbelievable and it's funny you know at first he said oh i was using i was using the oxycodone but we had him tested for oxygen. He wasn't using it. It was bullshit. Another one of his stories, you know. If he was using that that much, he would not be working there. <laughs> He'd be dead. I'd be at his funeral, not at his trial. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Well, listen, I mean, they try. You know, it's amazing that the human mind is capable of such good things, yet some people choose to use it in the wrong way, and they turn into a criminal mind instead of a, a positive and, and, and helpful and... I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like, I, sometimes I don't get to it. I can't even get a handle on how people, I say this to even in trainings when, when, cause I, I had a share of fraud, waste and abuse and in the insurance world, I mean, that's, that's big. Right. Sure. And people tend to do crazy stuff. I mean, uh, in the Medicare space, I, I work in the, the medic government, you know, the, the government program. So Medicare is our product. And, uh, sometimes you have agents that actually misrepresent, mislead. Uh, sometimes they even people forge documents, you know, enrollment forms, you know, people get enrolled in a plan, they don't even know what the hell, I, I never signed anything, right? You know, that's, I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you do something that bad when you know you your outcome is going to be bad eventually, it's going to catch up to you no matter what, it's just a matter of time. And on the flip side, you could have used the same skills to to really bring some real enrollees, some real, I know I'm giving an example of insurance, but it's just the way the mind goes. And I mean, obviously we're talking about criminal minds here that the extent of taking lives and hurting to, to, to our topic today, the veterans in, of our nation, it is, it is kind of, you know, almost upsetting when you think about that, but you know, sadly it is real and it happens, but the good news is there's always a good news with me is that we have people like you that are dedicated to actually make sure these folks never make it, you know, for a long time and hopefully prevent them from happening. But, but certainly sometimes to your point, it takes all of us, it takes a village in this case. And you're right, without the whistleblowers, without the oversight, without the compliance, without the 
people are always, everybody's looking at everybody, making sure everybody is in check. Those are the things that we need to have in place to ensure that, you know, these things don't happen. If, if this pharmacist had somebody that really looked into his finances and questioned things year one, they probably wouldn't have gone to year five. But, but you know, and it happens in the case of, of the serial killers here at the hospital, you only caught up to them because they came to you and things didn't vibe. But right. other, pe- other people didn't see it because, again, they... But you're right. If you see somebody that every time you're right, Mr. <laughs> X is in, in the hospital, people are dying. I mean, even if it's, you know, just a, a remote coincidence, you got to look into it. Like, what's up? I mean, we look at it in sales like we see something that dives down. Like, what's up? What's going on? Or goes up. What's up? What's going on? You question. You see a spike in one way or the other. You want to <laughs> question what's going on. If people just did that, things will be a lot easier and hopefully life saved. And but unfortunately, um, it is going to be the this is this is not going to stop here. And, you know, uh, this is continuous. There's always someone that's going to find some switch in their brains and they're just going to tell them to do bad things and they're going to continue doing it. But lesson to be learned. If people are aware, people are watching, people are listening. You know, you we all are responsible to do the right thing. We all supposed to help and keep, a, you know, our eyes and ears open and, uh, you know, Sometimes if it means that we have to come up and come forward and, and make statements and do whatever we need to do to help saving a life is a, is a good deed. And, you know, I think we should all look forward to that and uh, do our thing. So, so I, you know, we've exceeded the hour. I just, just pretty cool stuff here. And uh, I, you know, uh, sad, cool. I mean, it's, it's a mixture of feelings right now, you know, and, but the, the good news is that you are a hero uh, in my eyes because, and, and the people, you know, of your likes, because you actually are helping for you know, the communities to sleep at night, for our veterans or even our civilians in general, for all investigators out there and law enforcement. You know, some people, there's all these challenges about law enforcement stuff. I still believe that, you know, again, my rule is 99.999 is all good. There's 0.001% that is bad and that's in everything and everywhere. And we ought to look at that, you know, side of the good versus the bad. And I think that's the, but we don't have to, and, and you know, neglect the existence of that the bad one because there's we have to be mindful of it and be always looking out for those because that's what happens and that's where we have these offs but i do want to kind of wrap up the, the show by talking about the book you mentioned the book briefly so the yeah. book's name is behind the murder curtain right behind the murder curtain i'll show you for those here it is behind the murder curtain it, uh, it says, so Special Agent Bruce Sackman hunts doctors and nurses who kill our veterans. All the stories here are true, unfortunately, but they are true. But it's, it's a very fast read, and um, it's a real eye-opener because there are a lot of cases other than Swango that are in the book. And it, it explains how difficult and complex it is to actually investigate these cases successfully. But it can be done and, and it has been done. And I have a website. It's the same name as the book behind the murder curtain.com. So you, you could go to that. And there's an email address at the website. If you have any questions, call me, contact me, anything. I hear from people all over the world. It's, it's, it's very interesting what people have to say. If you get the book, I ask people to maybe do just a quick review, you know, on Amazon or Goodreads or something. You know, um, just 
to tell well, me what, what you think it, about it's it. it's definitely going to my recommended list of reading so <laughs> you know in my own affiliated you know account so definitely it's going there but but i it, the the description and the actual link of the the, the mm -hmm. website and the book will be in the, the description of the show as well so people can have access to it and and and, and frankly in the content yes it is sad i mean we watch murder in movies and, and crime in movies and we kind of you know love the movies and the series and things like that and enjoy them but this is the real stuff this is not just drama and and, and or you know some of those obviously stories are real or based on true stories but this is the real thing this is actually true investigations cases that you don't think it's happening and i think for us listening and, and audiences watching right now uh we are all parents children family members or society members and at the end of the day we again the message is very simple we should be looking for things you know at all times and if we see something that is off let's just discuss it there's nothing that you know if you just discuss it bring it to the topic you know the discussion on a table with somebody even casual let them take the initiative but at least you know or question things you know i think if we all look and i think some of the things in the book will probably be eye openers as you stated for us to look for because you know some of these elements that you mentioned in the book will probably be and even in the show will be triggers if i see something where there's a something off with a treatment or whatever and also on the flip side we want to make sure that the people are ease and you know don't just go to the hospital and think that your parents are not in good hands you know you want to always think that they are in good hands but at the same time you know if you see something speak you know if you don't trust the doctor ask for a different doctor i mean you have certain rights you have abilities uh if things are off you know, your parents, your kids, your family, your spouses, uh, whoever it is that, that you love, you should be able to take care of them and be able to to at least be aware that things can happen. And But don't think it's all bad and go crazy and like, you know, oh, what are you doing? You're going to pop air into him, whatever. <laughs> Let, I mean, the professionals are going to do their job to save lives and do it, and they do it. And uh, but but you're right. There was other elements that you mentioned today were about like shortage of staffing and sometimes desperation and recruiting may lead to less ethical or less you know professional you know folks that may join some some form some some, some groups and some systems but again i i always tend to believe that people are going to look for the better of of things and uh try to do the right thing uh in business and uh, in the healthcare in general doesn't matter it's the veterans affairs and and or, or the veteran healthcare system or the actual civilian one I think the purpose is to save lives, to help people, to get them through the pain and uh, really give them the, the service that they need and the care that they need. And we want to keep it at that positive note because I think that's really what happens. But let's not forget that there's always a risk and we just got to keep a mind open to it. That's all. That's that's all I have to say. So so with that, any last, you know, words of wisdom that you would like to advise, you know, and or give to our audiences and listeners right now? Yeah, I, I, I can't say really enough that the overwhelming majority of healthcare professionals are the most honest, hardworking, dedicated people you'd ever want to meet in any field. But because of that, there are a very, very, very tiny group of people that take advantage of that. They take advantage of these professional people to do terrible things. So if you see something say something and i know the majority of people will will say something well thank you for those words and thank you for uh, really a, a very very deep and and and, and unique show i have to say because you know we talk 
usually about health and things. And uh, this unbelievable tree usually is the one that throws in some some crazy things to, to our audiences. But the idea is that it is real. It's happening. It's out there. So we just have to be you know aware. I think awareness is key, and knowledge is key and power. So uh, that's that's all I have to say. So Bruce, thank you for being with us. Thank you for an awesome thank show. And uh, it is an honor and a pleasure as well here. And so, folks, thank you for watching, for listening, and uh, stay tuned for a different show, different guests, different topic. Bye for now.